hear me, but can you hear me? No? <laughs> I can hear it now. All right. So, worship. So, last week uh, we talked about worship being biblically informed. And I've kind of thought, where do I want to go with this? And uh, there's a few different things that I want to cover. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on and on, I think, uh, really. I mean, this is uh, talking about worship and, and worshiping God. And so there's a lot of areas that this gets into. Um, but I guess what I'm planning to do now today is... Uh, just give a little bit of a uh, summary of last week. And then I want to spend some time looking at who God is. And we're going to do it kind of in the form of, of uh, a prayer, a psalm uh, of prayer. And look at it from that perspective. Because we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, but before we get into that, so we're, we'll talk about who God is. Tonight, next week, we'll probably talk about the works of God and how that relates to worship. And then from there, um, I think what I want to do is spend at least a week on um, worship, worshiping corporately, but not so much the music stuff, but worship as it relates to unifying the church. So we'll talk about that and then maybe a week on worship as it relates to music, and that might be the end of it. That sound good, Jason? I haven't. I meant to talk to him about that. So maybe three more weeks uh, of this, and we'll kind of that's the plan for now. So last week we talked about worship is biblically informed. So worship begins with truth about who God is and what God has done. Um, I read a, um, I guess a. A vision, not not a vision, but a um, what's the word here? A definition of worship from Bob Coughlin that reads: Biblical Christianity uh, or biblical Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to His self, uh, to His self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds, affections, and wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that we talked about was just specifically focusing in on in, in our minds that worship is God's redeemed people exalting God's glory in Christ in our minds. So uh, we pointed out that um, from Coughlin, he says that worship involves thinking before it involves feeling. So it's truth before experience, feelings, and emotions, or even our circumstances. Truth comes first. So our first step as we set out to worship God is to worship him rightly. And we talked about how this involves knowing God and that the Bible is clear that there is worship that is pleasing to God. And there is stuff that we like to call worship that really isn't and doesn't please God. So not everything that is called worship is worship. Um, you cannot worship God rightly if you don't know who God is. 
So specifically, knowing God is, or knowing who God is and what God has done. You can't worship what you do not know. And so we worship God as he is prescribed because it's in our best interest. It's for our joy and our good that we do all things according to God's will and according to his word. Now, we're going to look into some uh, catechisms tonight. And the first three questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism summarize what I just said this way. So what is the chief end of man? Do you know the answer? What is the chief end of man? From the Westminster Catechism, huh? Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, y'all are all pretty close. Y'all might, uh, there's different catechisms, so you might be getting some of them confused. But it's, um, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So it's pretty close, pretty good. Um, The second question is, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Anyone know that one? I wouldn't have known them either after tonight. I mean, we, we've done the New City Catechism at, in our house, but these are just so good. Um, so what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? He's given us the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. It is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. So he's given us his word. And in it, we know how to glorify and enjoy God. So what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach that man is to believe, what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So we're going we're gonna to get into scripture. You know, if worship is first to be biblically informed, it's important for us to look at scripture and what it says about who God is and what he does. So tonight we'll focus more on who God is. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism answers this question, what is God? And it says that God is spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. It's a pretty good summary, right? I think it's great. And then they've got the New City Catechism, which is what we've used in our home. What is God? Angela, do you know it? I'll do it like Jude. God is... What is what? That's yeah, pretty close. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. So God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in His power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by him, and, and excuse me, and by his will. 
So two really good definitions of, of who God is, um, just uh, some summaries. They're very similar to, as far as the things that they point out. But I, wanna, I want to turn tonight to Psalm 86. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to spend pretty much, well, yeah, not pretty much. We're going to spend all of our time in this psalm tonight. And the reason being is because uh, this is the text that both of these catechisms point to uh, as a reference for that, uh, that question, what is God or who is God? And I think you'll see a good reason why it uses this. And there's many others too. Um, but as I started unpacking all this, it's like, wow. I mean, there's just a lot here. In fact, uh, my hope was to get through all of it tonight, and it was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. So Psalm 86, verse 1. And we won't even really, by the time it's all said and done, go through the whole thing. We're just going to go to verse 15. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are, uh, you are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon your name. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods. O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, or that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God. With my whole heart I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. I will glorify, or excuse me, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you teach us tonight about who you are. Um, we pray that it, most importantly, would impact our worship of you. That um, we would, you know, A lot of these things won't be new, um, but we need to often be reminded of who you are because... We just get so caught up in life and um, our own thoughts and our own um, activities and we just lose sight of this stuff from time to time. And as I think about difficulties even that I've experienced in my own life, um, it's been sad that um, I didn't turn to you as this God described here in this psalm. Um, and so we pray, Lord, that that we see you afresh tonight and that it would lead to 
worship as individuals and even corporately, um, that we could stand in awe of who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you remember from last week, um, the definition from the New Bible Dictionary pointed out that worship is to exalt God by giving him honor, glory, uh, and reverence because he is worthy of it. And this can be expressed in various ways, and one of those being prayer. Now, Psalm 86 here is referred to as a prayer of David, and I think it's safe to say that this is a prayer of worship. Uh, It teaches a lot about who God is and how we can worship him through prayer. So if you look at verse 1, this prayer begins by asking God to incline or to turn his ear to listen and to answer this prayer. There are needs that David has, but the prayer (coughs) places much greater emphasis on who God is. And because of who he is, he has the power to do all that he is being petitioned to do. So he refers to God as Lord. And the name Lord is loaded with truth about who God is. David acknowledges that he is praying to the Lord Jehovah, the self-existing one, the I am who I am. And this is the one true and eternal God who is. Unlike man, even the greatest of all mankind, all other so-called gods, um, there is none like him. Jehovah has no beginning and he has no end. He is God. And there's no one like him and never will be. Verse 8 says that, that there's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So no one is like him, nor can they do what he can do. I could say something like, I am Jason, or I am Jason who is a father or a husband. Um, These statements would be true, but they're only true as long as I exist. There was a time when I wasn't Jason, um, but this isn't the case with God. He has always been and always will be who he is. I need a mother and a father to exist, but God doesn't need anything at all. He is the self-existing Jehovah, the one who calls himself the I Am. And like the New City Catechism pointed out, he's eternal, always existed, always will, infinite. He's limitless and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness, glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. So this is who God is, and David knows this as he enters into this prayer. Um, There's no one like you, no works like yours, no one is able to do what you can do, not even me. He says there that I am poor and I am needy. He's saying that I'm coming to you because I have nothing in and of myself to meet the needs that I have. I'm nothing, but you, God, are everything. God is all-sufficient to David, and he's enough to supply all the needs that he has. Psalm seventy-three twenty-six says that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So who God is makes him worthy of our worship, and he is the all-satisfying God that is enough, and he deserves it. 
If you look at verse 2, it says that to preserve my life, for I am godly, save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. So David here, he refers to himself as a godly servant that trusts in God. It could also be translated that he is a faithful worshiper of God. He knows who he belongs to. His life is dedicating, uh, dedicated to worshiping and serving God. And he trusts that God will guard or keep watch over his life. Now, if you remember from last week, um, I mentioned that you must know God rightly in order to worship him. To know God is much more than informational, though. It's more than knowing stuff about God. Um, we read in John seventeen three, and I read this last week, that eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So the word know here is it's an experiential knowledge based on truth and personal interaction with God. Um, it's a relationship with God that is intimate. This word to know God is the same word that's used uh, in relation to a husband and wife um, having sex. And so it's, it's a very intimate word. And so as it's, it's talking much more about just knowing God in an intellectual way and having all the right information. Lots of people know stuff about God. It's a very different thing to actually know him in a way that is intimate and that is personal. And I believe that David is expressing here this kind of intimacy with God. All through this psalm, he shares the stuff that he knows about God. But in verse 2, he says something simple, but it's profound about his relationship with God. He says, you are my God. Now, uh, it's, it's not somebody else's God. It's not the God of his ancestors. Um, I can remember ministering to teenagers. One of the things that we did was we spent a great deal of time um, looking at their personal lives. We read a book called Growing Up Christian. It's, it's a great book, by the way. But one of the things that that book sets out to do is to challenge teenagers that mommy and daddy's God is not necessarily your God. And just because you have been brought to church your whole entire life, you know lots of stuff about God, um, that doesn't mean that you personally have a relationship with God. And so it really uh, just challenges them to see the gospel uh, in a way that may save or challenge their, um, just challenge where they're at in their walk with Christ. But it's the same thing. David's relationship with God is one of his own. It is his God. He's saying that God is mine and I am his. And he's a faithful servant that belongs to God. Now, the Hebrew word used for God here is Elohim, which refers to God as the strong and the mighty and powerful creator. The first usage of this um, name for God is used in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, or Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is the strong, mighty, powerful creator. And so David is saying here that the God who created everything is my God. Uh, that pretty much narrows it down. He is a servant of the only true and living God who created all things. He has a personal relationship with the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And because of his knowledge of or about God and 
his knowing God personally and intimately, he trusts that God can guard and deliver him from the pain and the troubles that he is experiencing. God is the creator of life and the sustainer of life who can be known and trusted, and he is worthy of our worship. So all of these things, um, I just want to draw your attention to them. Again, I know they're not new, but I think we often just lose sight of this, and it's, it's simple stuff in a lot of ways. I mean, these are, um, you might say, the basics of who God is, like, but at the same time, uh, this is the reason why we worship. This is the reason why uh, we have come to God in the first place. Knowing him as creator and sustainer is a different thing from just knowing stuff. And, and so I want to just challenge you tonight to really think about that. Do you know him as the life-giving sustainer? Do you know him intimately and personally as David has described here? And again, I'll just say that... This is a prayer, but it's worship. This is David worshiping God through prayer. Oftentimes our prayers are a lot about us and what we need. And David focuses on that, yes, but he also is drawing attention to this great and glorious God, the God that he says is his and that he knows personally. Verse 3, Be gracious to me, O Lord, For to you do I cry all day, gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor are there any works like yours. So he continues on with more language that expresses his intimacy with God. For to you do I cry all day. That is, that's a personal relationship. I don't even cry to my wife all day. I cry to her quite a bit, but not all day. Uh, But yeah, I mean, so he has this relationship that isn't just When he needs stuff, it's this ongoing pleading and interacting and worshiping of God. And he says, and and for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So in these verses here and seven other times in this psalm, he uses another name or title for God, and that's Adonai. And Adonai means Lord and Master, and it speaks of God's sovereignty and authority over all things. And that sheds some light on David's reflection referring to himself as a servant or a slave god has uh, god was the master of his life and he had an attitude of surrender uh, to his authority now, these verses should serve i think as a challenge to all of us in how we can and should worship god through prayer so do you pray to god in such a way that expresses true worship in a way that expresses god's worth and your neediness for his favor and authority in your life. A your will be done in every circumstance kind of way. And not only when you need him to fix something, but in a way that says, I need your grace, so I cry out to you all day that you would gladden the soul of your servant, as David does here. 
Now, to gladden the soul is a cry to give joy to his life. David says that he lifts up his soul to God. He's using these words of desire. What, what is the chief end of man? We learn from the beginning to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So he's crying out that God would gladden his soul, that he would gladden his inner being, all of himself. And Psalm 511 says that, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. So God, for David at least, is the ultimate source of lasting joy. Now, lots of things can mask over pain, and they can make us happy for a while. Uh, But happiness is something that comes and goes. Joy can be found in God. uh, Or another way of putting it is that God can be enjoyed at all times, in every place, no matter what the circumstance. Now, there's a sermon that you can find online. Um, actually, I don't know that the whole one sermon is on there. I think it is. I've only seen a clip. It's one of those sermon jams, as they call it. Johnny P., John Piper. There's a story to that. <laughs> I have to tell it now that I've said it. Jason, I think it was, was it the first time I'd actually even met you? We didn't know each other very well. Yeah. So we ended up together for the gospel together, and we were sitting, we sat all over the place. There's this really crazy story about being cold together, and it's maybe a little too intimate. I'll tell you about it later if you want to ask. But uh, yeah, we're, we're down on the floor level at this point, and we're really close to the stage. And you know, you got who John Piper, Mark Dever, Thabidion Yabulier, uh A bunch of people. I can't even remember who all was there. But just in my book, they're the greats. They're just the greats. And so, you know, for somebody who's interested in that stuff, they're like, you know, just uh, rock and roll bands, essentially. And there's this older dude sitting beside us, and he's got his son, and his son is probably close to our age, I would guess. And when John Piper comes out on stage, he's like, Johnny P! Johnny P! I mean, this guy was so excited. But, yeah, it was great. So, anyways, off subject, Johnny P. So, this is from John Piper. I think it's from the Desiring God Conference. If you want to look it up, it's awesome. Uh, It's probably only like five minutes long. But if you just go to YouTube and search John Piper and Prosperity Gospel, I think is, is what... It's called in the title. You'll find it. It's pretty good. So, um, but in it, he's preaching against the teachings of the prosperity gospel, and he says this. And I'm pointing all this out again to go back to this, that God is to be enjoyed at all times, in every circumstance. So, John Piper says this, I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful. It's when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like dead on the street and you say through the deepest possible pain that God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth there is nothing that I desire beside you. 
My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look glorious. And I think this is the God that David recognizes. He's crying out um, in, with the difficulties that he's facing in life, and it seems to be, and it's a lot with David, there's always some foe, you know, there's always some enemy, somebody that's against him. But whatever it is, he knows that, jo- uh, that God is able to satisfy his life in the midst of this pain and struggle, that he can still enjoy God. And he asks that God gladden his heart. So verse 6 says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. The day of, your, of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods. O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. No one can satisfy our longings for grace, our longings to have mercy and God's favor in the midst of our troubles. No one can give us lasting joy in the midst of pain. No one is like God, and no one can do what God can do. And I want to share a story with you. Um, It's not about Johnny P. It's... It's actually pretty, I think, more awesome than even that. And this is a a personal story, and I won't give names to uh, just, you know, not to expose people who don't need to be exposed, but a very good friend of mine and just an older gentleman, um, quite significantly older than me, and somebody that I've just loved and looked up to, and he's kind of been a mentor in my life, and yeah, well, not I wouldn't even say mentor. More like just somebody that I look to as a dad in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I can remember sitting in my office at uh, Daniel's Bible Church with him, and we were just talking one day, and and he had been. Um, it was interesting because for a very, I guess, the start of our relationship, I was kind of the younger guy, and he was the older man, but this was when I knew our relationship began to take this shift and he had started to really trust me and was just sharing struggles that he had been having in his life and had been sharing these things and um, you know one day this particular day he just seemed kind of down in the dumps and I don't remember exactly how the conversation got started but I probably asked him is everything okay or how's things been going and and he just stopped and kind of shook his head for a bit and um he has uh, most of his marriage his wife hasn't been real supportive um, and not that she hasn't been unsupportive but she hasn't grown spiritually like he has um, and then his kids who are you know grown adults um, at this point in fact they're they're older than I am even um, have you know they neither one of them had a relationship with the Lord in fact there was a great deal of sinfulness in in their lives and he had shared a lot of that with me and just on and on um, throughout our relationship just about how that that hurt him and I've I've met his family and he just loves them I mean he loves them so much but on this particular day um, after asking what was you know what was up and he said, I'm just struggling today. And I said, well, you know, embrace yourself for this answer. So what are you struggling with? And he said, you know, with all this stuff, with my 
my kids and wife and um, he said what I don't understand is how I have so much pain but yet at the same time I'm so satisfied with who God is in my life and I thought man that I mean that's it that's the place that I have personally longed to be so this man even though he had so many reasons to just you know, be caught up in his circumstances and, and a lot of people will even turn away from God at that point. He had so many reasons throughout his life to just give up and to shake his fist at God. And maybe many times he did, but instead in his pain, he turned it to worship and he worshiped God and he enjoyed God even in the midst of those difficulties, even in the midst of sadness, even in the midst of, I'm sure, feeling pretty alone. I mean, I know personally for me, I couldn't imagine doing this life alone without my wife, who is a believer. I just couldn't imagine what it's like, and I really feel for people who 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 have to. Um, but in the midst of it all, he could still experience joy in Christ, and that is an amazing place to be. And that is what worship is about. It's about glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And I hope that um, you've got to see a little bit tonight about who God is and how worship can be a means of prayer, or a means of worship, I'm getting those words mixed up, how prayer can be a means of worshiping God. And so we're going to stop there. Next week we'll talk a little bit about the works of God and we'll go through some more of this. But what I would like to do is take the rest of this time and pray together. Um, I'm going to say something that might sting a little bit. It's not meant to sting. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is a little bit. I've been here for almost a year, and I have never prayed corporately with anyone in this room. Or, I mean, I guess corporately would be all of you, right? So I've never, we've never prayed together um, corporately. And, uh, in fact, most of you, I don't even know that I've ever, well, I think two, three three people that I know I've prayed with before. And so what I would like to do is just take the rest of this time and worship God through prayer. Um, Thinking about some of these things from the text, you can even keep it open and refer back to it if you like. Uh, Or you can come up with your own things. But as we pray, let's, let's take an opportunity to exalt God through prayer and enjoy Him together. Sound good? All right. So, it's kind of weird, a little bit. It's like this is what we're supposed to do, like people. We're Christians. We pray. So I'll pr- I'll start, and then I'm just going to sit here quiet until y'all join in. And then at some point, I'll finish it. How about that? And then we'll just we'll let it be what it is, okay? Lord, how awesome are your works. How awesome are your, your, is your love for us, for undeserving, needy, poor people, as David pointed out. We're, we're that. We're not any different than he is. We have our own circumstances in life and our own struggles and our own sin. Um, and Lord, we need you just the same. I thank you that you love us 
Lord, I call on you as the sovereign God who has power and authority over all things to hear us tonight. Um, hear our cries, hear our joy. Lord, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited right now to just pray with these people. And I pray that this could even start a habit of doing that together. Lord, we, uh, I, I pray to you just out of neediness. I feel tired. Um, not so much just sleepy, but just uh, kind of emotionally exhausted. It's exhausting. It's been a week where it's just like going and bouncing from one thing to the next. And so, Lord, I just I pray that um, that you would give my mind and uh, my heart rest.